the Philistines discover the awful consequences of stealing the Ark, before the people of Israel demand that Samuel install a king over them. On The Bible Brief. Tell a friend about The Bible Brief today. Your recommendation can help your friends learn the Bible in a new way. Tap share on your podcast player and share your favorite episode. The Philistines have stolen the Ark of the Covenant. In battle, the Philistines overwhelmed the Israelite force and not only succeeded in the conflict, but captured the most valuable item in all of Israel. They had stolen the item that few people in Israel had even seen in that generation. The Ark was formerly housed in the holiest part of the tabernacle tent of meeting. It was a wooden box overlaid with gold with two rods used for carrying the Ark in case it had to be moved. Inside that box were the stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna bread from heaven, and the staff of Moses' brother Aaron. It was a time capsule of sorts, of the most significant items in the history of the nation. More than that, it was on top of the Ark of the Covenant that God rested His presence among His people in the tent. This was the very place where God would be with His people, even as He was separated from them in the tabernacle tent. This ark, this most important item, was now in the hands of the Philistines, long-term enemies of Israel, the same people who had captured Samson generations earlier. You can imagine that they were ecstatic having captured the ark. They knew that Israel had confidence with its presence in the battle, and the Philistines themselves were probably surprised that they defeated the Israelites given that the ark was there. The good luck charm didn't work for Israel. Instead of confidence in the God of the ark, they just trusted in the presence of the symbol, empty of power without God's presence. That didn't mean, however, that the ark was worthless to God. After all, he had commanded its construction. And we soon see that he ensures that the Philistines don't prosper at all while they hold on to the ark. We read this in 1 Samuel chapter 5. When the Philistines captured the ark, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both of his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Hopefully you get a chuckle out of this account. The Philistines bring the ark into the house of their false god Dagon, and after one night, Dagon's idol is face down before the ark of Yahweh. They replace the idol, and the next morning the idol is face down again. This time, though, the hands and the head were cut off. We even get a funny image right at the end of the short account. It says, Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. But this comical account gives way to serious plagues upon Ashdod, the city where the ark was being kept. Next we read, The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. The Philistines, to their credit, 
knew it was time to get rid of the ark from their midst. They recognized that God was afflicting them because of the ark. Yet instead of just returning it to Israel, the cities of the Philistines end up playing hot potato with the ark. Every city it comes to experiences a plague of tumors carried by mice in the cities. Many Philistines died from this disease and tumors for seven months as they continued this game of hot potato. Until finally they all said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. Soon they send the ark back to Israel with sacrifices and offerings in an attempt to appease the God of Israel, that the plague might be lifted from them. In fact, the diviners among the Philistines had said this about what the ark should be returned with. They said, Five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and they departed? It's notable that the Philistines knew about the exodus that had occurred around 400 years prior. Just as God had purposed when he sent his plagues upon Egypt, his fame had indeed spread across the world for the afflictions that he had put upon Egypt. The Philistines even referenced the awful effects of Pharaoh's hardened heart. They didn't want to experience the devastation that God had sent upon Egypt, so they quickly got rid of the ark. The ark was finally back in the possession of Israel, but God wasn't done using it to teach lessons. Initially, the ark was brought to a town called Beth Shemech, but even that town within Israel was struck with death. The ark was not being taken care of by Levites as God commanded in his law, and disobedience still had consequences. Many, many men in the city and in Israel in general died after looking upon the ark. Yet finally a Levite household took possession of it, and the death stopped. God was showing that even though the ark was not a good luck charm, it was a sacred object with instructions given by God himself for its care. God was vindicating his holiness and his law before the people of Israel. Finally, after this ark episode was complete, 20 years passed before the next major happening in Israel. Samuel was older now, and he had moved from the tabernacle in Shiloh back to his hometown of Ramah. Samuel began to exercise his leadership in Israel. Now a grown man, he called Israel to turn away from their worthless idols and back to Yahweh their God. We read this in chapter 7, verse 3. Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served Yahweh only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah, and drew water and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Samuel was helping the people turn back toward God. He led them to get rid of their idols and turn away from their sins to follow Yahweh again. He appeared to have led a genuine revival among the people. It was in the midst of this revival, though, that the Philistines saw an opportunity to attack Israel. Perhaps this time around they figured they would defeat Israel and try not to take the ark. 
Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to Yahweh our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into a confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. Samuel's mother had prayed this prayer that found its fulfillment in this battle. She had said, The adversaries of Yahweh shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. That's exactly what happened to the Philistines in this battle at Mizpah. The Lord fought for Israel through a thunder in heaven that shook the Philistines into confusion and defeat. The nation of Israel had repented. They had turned back to God, and even without the ark in their presence, he had brought them victory. The presence of Yahweh in battle made all the difference. Further, God used his judge Samuel to defeat the Philistine threat to his people, just as he had done with many prior judges. With this new peace, we read a summary of the next several years of Samuel's life. We read in verse 15, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all those places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there he also judged Israel, and he built there an altar to Yahweh. God's judge had brought peace and revival to his people. The ark was back in Israel, and things seemed to be going swimmingly. Yet as Samuel continued to age, the next generational shift posed a threat to the good order in Israel that Samuel had established. The problem was Samuel's sons. They weren't like Samuel. And the people come up with a solution for this son problem of his. We read this in 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The people decide that, instead of waiting on God to raise up another judge after Samuel, instead of praying to God to judge Samuel's sons and replace them, they would rather be governed like the other nations around them. The Israelites would rather not have God picking judges. Instead, they'd like a king. And soon we see God's response. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day that I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. 
He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Samuel's warnings are effectively this. The king that you say that you want to be like other nations, he will tax you, he will conscript your sons to fight for him, he will take your daughters to serve him, he will take your land and your flocks for his own use, and in the end, as slaves, you'll regret it. You'll regret rejecting the Lord as king, and when you cry out to him in that day, God will not answer you. Now you'd think that the people might listen to this trusted prophet and judge, the one who had faithfully administered justice in the land for the last several decades. But the people instead add insult to injury as they put an exclamation point on their rejection of Samuel and of Yahweh. We read, But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us, and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice, and make them a king. If there was one thing that Israel should have known since the very beginning of their nation, it was that no one fought their battles but Yahweh. In fact, they had just experienced this with the defeat of the Philistines. It was Yahweh who had thundered from heaven and threw the Philistines into confusion. It was Yahweh who had used the judges to subdue the nations around Israel. It was Yahweh who had gone before Joshua as they conquered the land. It was Yahweh himself who had defeated the chariots of Egypt at the Red Sea. Yet now the people wanted something different. They wanted a king to fight their battles, to be like the other nations. Yahweh was unseen, and they wanted a king. So God says those fateful words for the nation. He says to Samuel, Give the people what they want. Join us next time as the prophet Samuel anoints the first king of Israel, a man large in stature, but small in faithfulness. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023